Welcome to College and Coins, where we learn about college, the process, get in keeping those coins, and everything else in between. Williams, and on today's episode, we'll be speaking to the author of Healthcare Navigation 101, Dr. Nicole Rochester, on how to get your students medically prepared for college. So let's get into it. So hello, Dr. Rochester. How are you? I am doing well, Peachy. How are you today? I am awesome. I am awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today to give our readers and listeners some information that they need to know for their college-bound students. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so why don't we start by you telling us exactly what you do? So I am a board-certified pediatrician who left clinical medicine about two and a half years ago Um, to start a company, Your GPS Doc. And the mission of my company is to help individuals and their family caregivers navigate the healthcare system. So I initially was primarily working with individuals who were caring for aging parents and other elderly relatives and having a difficult time navigating the healthcare system. But I also have a daughter who is a college sophomore. And as I was preparing her, to begin to learn how to manage her own health and her own health care in college, it dawned on me that everybody's child needs this information. So another arm of my business is dedicated to educating and empowering rising college students and their parents so that they can have the tools that they need to be independent and to manage their health once they go away to school. Awesome. Awesome. So you wrote a book. You're the author of Healthcare Navigation 101, A Guide for College-Bound Students. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and actually what kind of information is in the book so that parents will know why they need to get this book? Sure. So Healthcare Navigation 101 really filled a gap that I found in the um, community and, and in the kind of healthcare space. So even as a pediatrician, I began to realize that we don't do a good job preparing our patients for that transition to college. And certainly as parents, you know, we are used to coddling our children in many ways. And I know that in the doctor's office, you know, we tend to speak for our children. We are the ones that are making the appointments. We're the ones that decide when they're sick enough to go in. We are often you know, administering the medications to them. And so I realized that they don't really get any practice. And then we send them off to school and expect them to be able to manage not only minor colds and illnesses, but also, you know, major injuries and flare-ups of chronic conditions. So the book is really meant to um, teach rising college students, those who are already in college and their parents, the things that they need to know. So we talk about issues like privacy and confidentiality and I explain, you know, the laws that are in place and, um, you know, how, why parents are not allowed to be freely given information about their children's health, but also things that the students can do to allow their parents to receive that information. We talk about communication and how important it is for students to learn how to appropriately communicate with doctors and other healthcare providers. Uh, we talk about how to navigate both an acute and a chronic illness. So there's a chapter dedicated to both of those because I realized that not only are children or students, I should say, not only are they going to have to manage you know, the flu and stomach vi- viruses and things like that, but many of them are going to college with diabetes, with seizure disorder, 
with other conditions, and they are going to have to understand how to appropriately manage those conditions while they're away at school. The book also talks about health insurance and all of the pitfalls that go along with that, particularly if your child and you live in a different state. We talk about mental health in the book, sexual health. And then lastly, there's an amazing comprehensive packing list so that parents and students can make their own DIY first aid kit. And then at the end of the book, there's a list of resources, websites and places that the student can go to throughout the school year if they need additional help. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's talk about the first aid kit. So mm-hmm. one of the things in the freshman fun box, we actually sent a first aid kit, but it's, Wonderful. you know, one of those small travel kits that, you know, you can pick up from the drugstore. So how important is it for parents and students to actually build their own first aid kit? And what are the types of things that they should have in that first aid kit to be able to deal with anything if something should occur while away at school? I think a first aid kit is incredibly important. And um, before I talk about what I think should be in it, I just want to say two things. One is cost. So we don't realize the cost of of over-the-counter medications and the fact that, you know, most college students are a little bit strapped for money. And, you know, a lot of parents that are paying for college are a little strapped for money. And so, you know, sending your child off to school with those items so that they're not trying to figure out how they're going to pay so that they're not trying to figure out how to get to that local drugstore to get these items is just really important. So it's not just a matter of convenience, but it's also a matter of cost. And I can tell you that my daughter, her freshman year, she didn't need for anything when it came to her health. And her room kind of became the hot spot where if anyone in the dorm was sick or if they scratched themselves or, you know, injured themselves, they were going to my daughter to say, Hey, do you have band-aids? Hey, do you have antibiotic ointment? Hey, can I have some Tylenol? So um, it was it was really a big hit for her, um, as well as her roommates and others in her dorm. So um, you, you mentioned the travel kits. You know, those those are great, but I've noticed that they just tend to be deficient in some of the key things that our students need. And also they tend to maybe have two or three doses of something. So, you know, once you run out of that, then what? So um, some of the things I think are important are a thermometer, and this is not something that's often included in you know, the little small kits, but our students need a way to check their temperature. Um, you know, a lot of kids, they're going to get sick. We already know that. It's not when, it's not if, but when. They are going to get sick. And often, whether or not they have a fever is a huge deciding factor on whether they can continue to manage their symptoms at home. A fever can often be a sign that the the minor cold that they have may be worsening or turning into something else that may trigger to them, okay, now I need to actually make an appointment. And we know from years of experience and studies that putting your hand on your forehead, despite what everybody thinks, is not a good way to measure your temperature. So I recommend that every student go off to school with a thermometer. And then, you know, going back to those over-the-counter medications, things like Benadryl, whether they have an underlying history of allergies or not, you know, they are going to develop some, you know, runny nose and sneezing and things like that. But also they may develop a new allergic reaction to a food that they eat or to a product that they use. And so being able to quickly administer Benadryl to themselves and then still follow up, you know, with the appropriate next steps is important. Um, Over-the-counter cold and cough medications are important over-the-counter allergy medications, things like, you know, Zyrtec or um, Claritin for kids who suffer from seasonal allergies is really important. 
Um, things to clean cuts and minor wounds are important. You know, antibiotic ointments, things like anti-itch ointments and creams like hydrocortisone for those itchy rashes, for things that, you know, they may come in contact with in their dorm room or outside of the dorm room. Things like band-aids and tape and gauze, you know, again, for some of those minor cuts and injuries that they can really manage on their own, you know, cough drops, tweezers to get out that annoying splinter, ice packs and hot packs for, you know, aches and pains. Those are just some of the things that, that I recommend that parents can put in their own DIY first aid kit for their student. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, one you. of the reasons we actually did put the travel ones in there because, you know, they're always on the go. So something to put in their yes. bags that they could have. But again, it's nothing like having a comprehensive first aid kit. And interestingly enough, we found that those little travel kits starts the conversation to building a bigger one. So this Absolutely. is... Great information, you know, what you should have in the first aid kit, because a lot of times these students go away to school and they are, they have no clue. And then especially if they're first generation, their parents may not have a clue as well as to some of the things that they may face medically while they're away. Very true. So we talked about, you You spoke about the forms and things of that nature that the students um, may need before they go off to school. We all know that Students, when they once they get to school, the school kind of um, puts the parent at the on the back burner, and mm-hmm. students don't necessarily have to allow their parents access to their information unless they're still a minor. So, what kinds of forms should they have in place that will help them when they're away? So, HIPAA is uh, stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and that's a federal law that protects the privacy of your health information. And once a um, student is 18 or once they are enrolled in college full time, you know, they are actually considered an adult for the purposes of the school. And so, and, you know, in the healthcare settings, you know, once they're 18, they're considered an adult and they're considered the responsible party. And so many parents mistakenly assume that because, you know, we are the ones paying the bills, that that automatically grants us access to our students' information. But just like with FERPA, which has to do with the educational record, you know, we are not allowed to have access to our students' grades and other things related to their educational records without their permission. The same thing applies to their health records. And so there is a HIPAA authorization form that can be completed by the student, and the student can designate on that form who they authorize the release of information to. And so if the student is okay with the parent having that information, they can be proactive and complete that form. And then they can give that form to the person who's seeing them at the student health center. Even if they are off campus at an urgent care center or an emergency room, they can provide that healthcare provider with that form, giving them permission to um, share information with their parent. Now, I do want to point out that in cases of emergency or in cases where, you know, it is felt that the student's life or health is in immediate danger, then absolutely, you know, any decent healthcare provider is going to reach out to that parent and let them know. So this really applies to, you know, non-emergent issues. Um, Another thing that families can do proactively, and many people don't think about this, but, you know, unfortunately, some of our students are going to be involved in accidents. Some of them may be life-threatening accidents. And there may be situations where they are not even able to act on their own behalf. 
And so it's really good to fill out a healthcare power of attorney prior to your student going off to college. Now, if you're listening to this and your student's already in college, it's not too late. And these are forms that you can usually find online. They are state specific. So if you go to Google, you know, you want to make sure that you type in your state so that you get the form that is compliant for where you live. But the healthcare power of attorney, again, it designates what they call a personal representative. And so it designates um, someone, typically the parent, who can act on behalf of that student if they are in a situation where they are unable to make medical decisions on their own. So those are two very, very important documents that I recommend that all families at least consider before their child uh, matriculates in college. Absolutely. I mean, we think as adults about the power of attorney. But a lot of times we don't think about our students having a power of attorney form to give us that information and jurisdiction over being able to navigate their health if something happens. So that's very, very important. Mm-hmm. So while we're on that topic, let's talk about health insurance. So a lot yeah. of times, you know, they have the long place where your child can stay on your health insurance, you know, past a certain age. But a lot of times students, they go away to school and their the health insurance that the parent has doesn't necessarily cover them when they're out of state. And so how do you navigate that process? Yes, this is something that we had to deal with um, last year when our daughter went off to school as a freshman. We had health insurance that was an HMO, a health maintenance organization, and we our health insurance coverage only covered emergencies out of state. And my daughter's college and many colleges and universities now have a policy where the student must have insurance that covers everything, not just emergencies. And they have those things in place because they were discovering that students were not seeking care appropriately and that when they did have you know, some of these viral illnesses or other things that needed to be managed, they were avoiding Um, seeking care because they didn't have appropriate insurance coverage or they would go seek care and then their parents would get these astronomical surprise medical bills. So it's really important before you send your child off to college that you pull out your insurance documents or make a phone call or go online and make sure that you completely understand what your insurance benefits are, particularly if your child is out of state. There are some health insurance policies that have absolutely no coverage out of state other than emergencies. So what that means is that, you know, if your child is seen for anything other than an emergency, you are going to be responsible for that entire bill. And that can be hundreds of dollars. That can be thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, depending on how serious the illness is. Then there are other plans where you may have out of state coverage, but the burden of of how much you pay will be significantly higher depending on whether, you know, that provider is in network or out of network. So in our case, because our daughter's university has this policy, we actually had to purchase health insurance through her school. So we removed our daughter from our health insurance policy, and then we had to purchase a policy that ended up costing us about $2,000 for the year for her. I will say her insurance is actually way better than ours. (laughs) That's another topic. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so you want to just be very sure that you understand your benefits. And if you have health insurance that does not provide adequate coverage for your child, you can look into whether the university that they are attending has their own policies. And many larger colleges and universities now do offer 
their own health insurance plan, you know, through third parties like Blue Cross, Blue Shield and things like that. Or, you know, if during open enrollment season, if you're really proactive, you can change to a plan that will provide adequate coverage um, for your child. And then the third option is to look into whether your child can get their own plan through the marketplace or through the Affordable Care Act. And you can go to healthcare.gov to get more information about that. Awesome. Awesome. That That is very good to know because healthcare is something is continuously evolving and the prices are continuously getting higher and higher. Yes. But a lot of times parents wonder if I have to get my student a, a policy off of my policy, you know, how much will it cost and is it still good? Do they receive comprehensive care like they would have received if they were there at home with me? So that's that's very good to know about what you had to go through with your daughter because a lot of parents, we get that question so, so much because a lot of times their insurance does not cover their student when they're away at school. Yes. And I, I will add, you know, for my daughter's school, and this may be true, I'm sure this is true of other other schools, because they often have students that travel abroad, the insurance plans that they offer are amazing. I mean, her insurance can be used not just throughout the entire United States, but even abroad. Um, And they put those things in place because they want students who are traveling abroad to be able to, you know, have appropriate health care. Her copay is like $5, you know, as opposed to my husband, I have like $50 (laughs) copay. Um, I think her deductible is something like $25. So these plans that they have in place for students are usually um, the premium, you know, the overall cost isn't necessarily cheap, but the services that they receive in return for that and the amount of money that the student has to pay out of pocket is often like zero to $5. Oh, that's amazing. So while we're on the topic of traveling abroad, what if the student goes abroad on a trip with the school and they fall ill or they even have to have surgery or, you know, something of that nature? How, how does a parent prepare for that? How do, you, how do you handle that? And what should the student think about when they're actually going abroad? Should they be aware of, you know, different surroundings and things that could happen? You know, a lot of times I find that students although they want to be adults, sometimes they're very irresponsible. So they mm-hmm. could travel abroad and not even have their healthcare information with them. So how do you prepare your student if they are planning a trip abroad? Very, very good question. I'm glad you mentioned the healthcare information because we didn't talk about this um, yet, but that's also one of the things that you want to make sure that your student has when they go off to school. They need a copy of their health insurance card. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to parents who have received bills um, and they're like, but we have insurance, but guess what? They forgot to give their student that information. And so the student was billed as if they were self-pay. So if they are traveling abroad, you absolutely want to make sure that they have a copy of their health insurance card. Um, Again, if that health insurance plan does not cover, you know, uh, out of country services, which many of them don't, um, I would hope that the students' um, university or college will will provide that. And I think that there are additional plans that the, the college will actually offer for those students to make sure that they have appropriate health insurance coverage while they are away. And that likely would be an additional charge to the parent. You also want to make sure that your student is aware of their history. And there is, you know, we talk about this in the book, Healthcare Navigation 101. And one of the resources that I provide 
is a tool where the parents and the students can sit down and really document, you know, their, the names of their doctors and their phone numbers and all of the medical conditions that they have. Because what I found as a pediatrician um, is that students often don't know this information. You know, they may have had major surgery, but they may have had it when they were nine months old. All they have now is a teeny little scar. That problem doesn't bother them anymore. It doesn't come up, you know, in health, health appointments. And so they don't even know. And sometimes the parents just forget to even discuss those things with the kids. Sometimes the students aren't aware of some of the allergies that they may have to medications. Maybe they had that reaction 10, 15 years ago. And again, the parent is always the one that's making sure that they don't get that medication. They're not even aware that they are allergic to certain antibiotics. They also need to know about their family history because those things may certainly impact them. And so, you know, if they um, become ill while they're abroad, you know, maybe they have their first bout with diabetes or maybe they have their first encounter with a mental illness and they don't even know that those particular things run in their family. So that's incredibly, incredibly important. And then, you know, you always want to have emergency contact information. So we know that, you know, there's a way to put this information in the telephones. I'm sure the students are probably even more familiar with that than, than us adults. But you want to make sure that, you know, the, the school where you are traveling to has that information. You want to make sure that that information is easily accessible in your cell phone so that, God forbid, if there is an emergency, that, that those individuals are able to quickly contact your parent or your guardian. Okay. So when we talk about having the forms, having the contact information, let's say a student has a medical condition where they either have to be seen by a doctor or they have medication that they must take. How do you handle those prescriptions? Because if they're, if they have a prescription that they need on a continuous basis, but then they need to see the doctor before they get a refill for that prescription, how do you handle those situations? Do you fill the prescription for months at a time? And then when the student comes home for break or something, they go to see the doctor or do you recommend getting a doctor in that particular state where the student's school is? How do you handle situations of that nature? Excellent, excellent question. And these are absolutely things that all parents of students with chronic illnesses need to talk about. These are things that you need to talk about. So I always recommend during the summer that they absolutely schedule an appointment with that student's primary care doctor, as well as any specialist. So if they have diabetes, for example, they should be going to see their endocrinologist you know, uh, before they go off to school. And that is a great time to sit down and talk to those doctors, those healthcare providers, and really come up with a plan for how they're going to manage their chronic illness while they are away. Um, you should always ask for at least a 90-day supply of prescriptions. And again, get those filled before you go off to school. And then the student and the parent needs to have a conversation with the doctor about how they can manage those prescriptions. Some doctors will be perfectly fine, you know, just processing a refill, knowing that the child is away at school. Some doctors may want to check in with that child, um, that student. And so that's the time when the parents can schedule those follow-up appointments during spring break. You know, you really have to be proactive, look at your student's academic calendar. And if you know they're going to be home for a fall break or during spring break, those are great opportunities to schedule those follow-up appointments. We also have to remember that telemedicine is an amazing resource. That's where you can have a full doctor's visit by you know, video, by your smartphone, by your tablet. And some of these doctors will be um, willing to meet with the student and to have an appointment via telemedicine 
That way the student can, you know, they can see the student, they can have a conversation with the student, they can get updates from the student about how their condition has been over the last few months. And based on that visit, they may be willing to go ahead and process refills for their prescriptions. On that same note, it's important that the student realize that, you know, they're going to need to potentially transfer those prescriptions to a local pharmacy. So again, these are things that you want to start to work out over the summer. You don't want to wait until the student um, long-term prescription medication has run out, and then you're scrambling to try to figure out how you're going to get that refill sent 300 miles away. So it's important, you know, when you're dropping them off, you know, during move-in day, you know, before move-in day, really, you want to survey the area, find out where the local pharmacy is. You know, if your prescriptions are being filled at a large chain, find out where is the local um, chain, you know, close to that student's school so that you can start that process of transitioning their prescriptions so that they can easily pick them up uh, in a location that's near to them. Some parents opt to continue to have the prescription picked up at home and then they will either mail the prescription to their student or they will, you know, hand deliver it. They'll drive, make a drive. But I encourage parents to begin transitioning those responsibilities to their student. I think college is a great time for the student to begin taking on more responsibility for those chronic illnesses because, you know, at the end of the day, they are going to need to be able to do this on their own with, of course, some ongoing support from the parent. Now, in some cases, you may have to find a provider who can help you manage your condition while you're away at school. So particularly for conditions that are not well controlled for some mental health conditions where you may need to have ongoing therapy, you know, once a week or a couple of times a month, it's not feasible in those situations to travel back and forth to home. So in those cases, it'll be really important for the student and parent to begin researching providers. I encourage them to talk with their existing doctor. You know, we often know of other doctors in other states. We, we may have other connections and we can help guide your decision so that you're finding someone that can kind of take over that care, at least during the months that the student is away. Absolutely. And mental health care is something that we don't speak about on a continuous basis in terms of students. And what I'm finding and, you know, what studies are showing is that this mental health problem is growing, especially among the student population, whether it may be stress, depression, all these different mm-hmm. things. Are there any symptoms that students should be looking for that will be indicative of a growing problem or a problem that they can spot in another student where mm-hmm. they can kind of guide them to a, a mental health professional or a counselor that they can speak to? Yes. So this, we devote an entire chapter in Healthcare Navigation 101 to mental illness. And I appreciate you bringing this up because it is a very, very important subject. And as you mentioned, you know, we're seeing a lot more of this among students to the point where the the student health centers are um, admittedly, like they're admitting that they are overwhelmed. And many of them don't have the capacity, unfortunately, to care for the number of students who need care. So um, in terms of the types of mental illness that we're seeing, the depression and anxiety are absolutely, you know, the top two that we see among college students. And, um, you know, some of the signs and symptoms of depression can be things like difficulty sleeping. So that can be either sleeping more than usual or not sleeping well at all, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to fall asleep, um, appetite changes, you know, just not having much of an appetite. 
um, you know, mood shifts, just feeling really sad and not just, you know, kind of a normal sad, but feeling sad out of proportion or feeling sad for, you know, a long period of time, um, withdrawing from your normal activities. So if you're someone who is normally, you know, you like to hang out with friends or you like to, you know, go out or engage in activities or, and you find yourself like, you just don't want to hang out with anymore. You just want to be by yourself. Um, you're not engaging in the things that normally bring you joy. Those are definitely some of the signs of depression, you know, anxiety, just really feeling nervous, um, being nervous around people, being nervous in certain situations, um, just having the sense that you are not safe. Um, those can be signs, you know, feeling, um, physical signs like heart palpitations, feeling like your heart is beating really fast or, you know, getting really sweaty. Um, you know, those are breathing fast. Those are also signs of anxiety. And so if students are ex experiencing any of those things, A, they need to know that, you know, it's, it, it's going to be okay, but you should not try to manage these things on your own. And it's really important to make an appointment at your student health center so that you can talk to a trained professional and then they can help figure out, you know, if indeed this is a problem and then they can help you get the help that you need. Absolutely. On a lighter note, we're going to talk about staying in the dorm or living with someone, especially if you're not used to sharing a room <laughs> and students can be really unsanitary, <laughs> you know, especially, and I know they've changed dorms a lot. So now you have these nice rooms and they share a bathroom, but there's still some universities and colleges that have community bathrooms. And I remember mm -hmm. when my daughter was in school, the one thing she said, she was like, they are so nasty, mom. <laughs> and I could, I could only laugh because I remember those days, you know? So now that we have coronavirus out there and we know that students are unsanitary, how can we help them stay healthy? What happens if your kid is at a college or university and they have a case of coronavirus? That means everything shuts down. Your kid is now in quarantine. And how do they, how do you mentally prepare them for this? But how do you, you know, give them the tips they need to keep themselves healthy as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in terms of the mental preparation, I think that one of the most important things that we can do as parents and, you know, as adults in the lives of our children is to let them know that it's going to be okay. You know, there's a lot of panic right now. And, and, and honestly, you know, I'm worried. Um, you know, this virus is rapidly spreading and we think that it is going to continue to get worse before things get better. However, one thing that is important to, to know is that the majority of people who are being infected with the coronavirus are not having serious illness. Of course, the news focuses on those who are dying, but you know, 70 to 80% of people who have been infected so far um, do not have serious illness. We also know, at least as of today, which is what, March 10th, 2020, because things are changing every day. Um, that this disease is very, very mild among young people. We have not seen any cases of severe disease among young people. And so that is also reassuring. So I think it's important, especially in light of what we just talked about and, you know, the high degree of anxiety among college students that we reassure our kids and that we let them know that, you know, there are things being done, um, you know, and that the, the government agencies and the doctors and other healthcare professionals are working very hard to get this under control. 
Um, now, there are some just common sense things that the students can and should do. And honestly, Peachy, these are things that they should be doing every day, you know, before and after coronavirus to protect themselves from illness. Hand washing ha- is the number one thing, hands down, that we all should be doing, including our college students, to keep ourselves safe from uh, infections. And so frequent hand washing with soap and water is key. Yes, hand sanitizer is an acceptable alternative. So certainly, you know, if they are out and about, you know, when they're going to these classrooms, when they're going to the dining halls and these other public areas, you want to make sure that they are washing their hands and using hand sanitizer frequently. Um, Coughing, you know, cough and sneeze etiquette, which means not coughing into your hands, but coughing into your elbow or, you know, putting a tissue over your face when you cough or sneeze is important. And then after you've done those things, you still want to pull out that hand sanitizer and uh, wash your hands. Being really careful about touching your face. So, you know, they've done a lot of studies that show that we touch, you know, our faces multiple, multiple times a day. And, you know, you not only get the coronavirus from the um, droplet particles from people coughing, sneezing, and even talking in close proximity to you, but the surfaces that we touch, these counters, these tables, these desks, you know, doorknobs, faucet handles, all of these things are where this virus can live. And then you touch those things and then you you know, inadvertently scratch your eye or rub your nose or eat or touch your mouth. These are the ways that the virus is transmitted. And so we want to be very cognizant not to touch our faces, um, you know, throughout the day. Again, if you have your eye, if your eye is itching, you know, pull out a tissue and wipe your eye with that tissue. And these are just things that, that we can do. You know, if there is a case on a college campus and the student, you know, the campus is on lockdown or the students are on quarantine, you know, then you are going to be spending even more time in those closed spaces, you know, with your roommates, if, if you have roommates in your dorm. And so again, it's these, these practices of hand washing and cough and sneeze etiquette and wiping down surfaces with, you know, Clorox wipes or other, you know, antiseptic wipes, wiping down the sinks in, in the shared bathroom, wiping down all those surfaces. Those things are going to be incredibly important to keep our students safe. Wow. <laughs> That's information not only for the students, <laughs> but for everybody else. And what I yes. what people don't understand is coronavirus, maybe the strain is different, but coronavirus is nothing new. It's on the Lysol wipes. You mm-hmm. see coronavirus on the back. Yes. And a lot of times people, you know, we have these instances where something comes up, but we've already been exposed to it and nobody really knew. Mm-hmm. So... I, I second that. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands and use wipes. <laughs> and, you know, again, you know, the etiquette for the coughing and sneezing, especially if they have to travel in a closed, confined space like a mm-hmm. car with some other students or on an airplane, which is causing a lot of concerns. I've gotten so many messages from all the airlines that I fly on about how they're sanitizing the plane and how they use these different air filters. So everybody's taking it very seriously. But what people don't realize is that so many people, I think I read maybe two days ago, I think maybe 20,000 people have already died this year from the flu. Absolutely. You know, people don't understand about the flu. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, those symptoms and things of that nature, I just need parents to know that, you know, the panic, anxiety, things may come into play, but it's not something that can't be overcome. 
you know, students have high um, metabolisms and immune systems in most cases. So, you know, they should be fine as long as they're practicing the right sanitary conditions. I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Rochester. We, we're so happy to partner with you and we've had this relationship um, for a while now and we're just so proud of what you're doing. We're so proud of what you're going to be doing. Can you let us know a little bit about what's next in store? Oh, thank you for having me. I, I just absolutely adore your platform. I love the resources that you provide to the college students and their families. So it is my honor to be a part of that. Um, so I, I have some speaking engagements coming up, some local speaking engagements here in Maryland um, at some local caregiving conferences. I encourage um, your audience to follow me on social media, um, your GPS doc. They can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if they're interested in keeping up with my upcoming speaking engagements and some of the other activities that I have in the future. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me by searching Nicole Rochester. The book Healthcare Navigation 101 is available on Amazon in both ebook, I'm sorry, and uh, paperback version. So I encourage your listeners to go check that out. And again, I just thank you for what you are doing to provide this useful information to our, our students and their parents. Well, thank you so much. And there you have it, listeners. Make sure you get the book. Healthcare Navigation 101, a guide for college-bound students. It is highly recommended. And our ultimate goal is to make sure that our students are well-prepared and safe. College of Coins is brought to you by the Freshman Funbox brand. Until next time, check us out at collegeandcoins.com.